Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, praise the Lord. Unlikely saints here in the month of October, and so excited to continue on. And just, you know, the Bible says that when there's a breakthrough for one member, it's a breakthrough for all. What that means is there's a spirit of faith in our movement now. And if you're facing difficulties, the breakthrough of the spirit of faith is also for you. That the spirit of faith, that's another name for the Holy Spirit in his ministry, by the way, in the Bible. And he can fill your heart with faith today. Amen? I'm also going to be kind uh, up front to this gathering. I didn't do it last gathering. To try to uh, guard some people from uh, the voice of the enemy and wrong thoughts. That uh, Jesus didn't send me to preach political messages. Jesus sent me to preach Jesus. But Jesus transcends everything. That means sometimes when you preach Jesus, it can apply to anything. Are you with me? All right, but I'm here to preach Jesus today. And as we continue this series, last week, of course, Pastor Craig uh, talked about Peter and Paul. And uh, today we're going to talk about a man named Zacchaeus. And I just want to teach a message to you titled, Zacchaeus is that me in the mirror. Zacchaeus is that me in the mirror. And before I do, if you didn't receive a sermon card, you can put your hand up. They'll serve you. And, of course, as we repeatedly say, this is not just for you to follow along now. There's one over here. But it's for you to go back over throughout the week what the Lord is saying to us, saying to our marriages, those of us that are married, and saying to this community. All right? So I want to pick up talking about Jesus in the time of his ministry. He was going about, and one day this man comes to him. He's a rich young ruler. Okay, And he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, what shall he do to inherit eternal life? That's a wise question, don't you think? Uh, He says, how should I frame and understand how to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to this question mentioning the Ten Commandments All right, that's in the law of Moses. The man then responds. I mean, we got a, a good back and forth here, right? I mean, the man comes to Jesus, has a question. Jesus responds. Now the man's coming back. I mean, this is some great dialogue that's taking place. So Jesus then responds, or the man responds, all these things I have kept, talking about the Ten Commandments, from my youth. Then Jesus, after he hears that, says, you still lack one thing. Can I tell you that under the Old Covenant, Under the law of Moses, you will always lack at least one thing. That you never, through the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, make yourself right before God. You never, through the old covenant, can through your works and obedience inherit eternal life. You'll always lack at least one thing. Jesus draws his attention to the one thing. That he lacks and he says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. But that's not all Jesus said. Then he said, and come follow me. Why is that and important? Because we live in a time where the young generation, 
they are community activists. What that means is, is the young generation are excited about global endeavors. They're excited about giving, getting involved for social justice and to make communities in this world a better place. But you got to understand, Jesus didn't just say, sell your possessions and then use the money for social initiatives. He said, yes, those things are important. But then he said, and what? Follow me. And follow me. What's that mean? Because giving without Jesus doesn't lead to life. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying turn possessions into money to serve others. That's what he tells this young man. Turn your possessions into money so that you can serve others. Secondly, Jesus tells him, follow me in my going because in my going I'm serving others. Okay? Now we pick up the story now in Luke 18 verse 24. To follow along. So we come to this point in this conversation, and then the text continues saying, And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, meaning after Jesus told him, Sell what you have, turn your possessions into money to be able to serve others, and now follow me as I'm going in my ministry serving others, the man Jesus sees becomes very sorrowful. Jesus, in response to this, he looks around to the disciples and those around him, and here's what he said. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it now give their response. Who then can be saved? But Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Notice what Jesus is saying here. How hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's another way of saying today in the context of our series, how unlikely it is for a rich person to be a saint. Mark's account, the gospel writer Mark, he adds... How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus' instructions to this young ruler dealt with turning, trusting, and going together in the harvest field with Jesus. Turning from what he's trusting in, turning from what he's focused on, turning from what he is primarily pursuing, turning from that and trusting in Jesus and following Jesus on mission and serving others, revealing the Father, his compassion, his love, his mercy, his grace, his truth, his righteousness to those around him. The hearers then respond, who then can be saved? Who can become a saint? And Jesus says, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. What's impossible? A camel going through the eye of the needle. The other day, uh, Caleb got out one of uh, the prizes that he won on our vacation this summer. One of the old school prizes like I grew up on, you know, not this big electronic and engineering type toy, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, just a simple thing that simple folk like me understand how it works, you know. A ball with a string on it, you put it on a plastic thing, you press a button, and the ball, the sponge ball, pops off, and there's a string attached. So you don't lose the ball. 
Well, they were shooting the ball off of it, and the string broke. So Caleb brings it to me, and he asked me to tie the string that's attached to the ball back to the plastic part where the spring's at that shoots the ball. Well, you think you have fat fingers and fat thumbs. I mean, dude, it was like an impossible task of getting a camel through an eye of a needle. I mean, it's a small hole trying to get that string through. But Jesus is saying, listen, a camel going through the eye of the needle is impossible, but with God, the impossible becomes possible. You know why we're here today? Because we believe there is a God that makes the impossible become possible. That is the hope we have. That is the vision we have. That is the joy we have. That is the expectation we have. Another way of saying it is, is we believe there's a God, as revealed through Jesus, who makes the unlikely become likely. What does that mean? That the unlikely to become saints with God can become likely to become saints. I'm not talking about football. Like you're a diehard Atlanta Falcons fan. If you start serving God, he's going to make you into a saints fan. We're not talking about that. We're talking about into the character of Jesus, a a, a biblical saint and follower. Here's the point up front. It is impossible. Everybody say impossible. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God without God. It's impossible for the rich to make them in right standing with God without God. It's impossible for the sinner to cleanse them of their sin without God. It's impossible for those that have turned away and turned to their own way to begin to turn and follow God's way without God. It takes God. Let me talk about this idea of the rich and the impossible. There was a research that started with this question. How does the well-being of the American family compare with the well-being of people in other countries? On a global scale, the vast majority of Americans are either upper middle class or upper middle income or high income or high class globally. What this means is, as many Americans who are classified as poor by the U.S. government would be middle income on the global standard. Why is this important? Because so often we live in a community, in a nation that think we have eyes to see, but we truly don't see how things truly are. We have people that are complaining and ungrateful and they don't understand on a global scale, they're rich. They're rich. And this is what this research proved, that by a global standard, the majority of Americans are high income. In fact, the analysis was of 111 countries. That accounts for around 90% of the global population. And what they found is, is when they compared 90% of the global population, that more than half, 56% to be exact, of Americans were high income by the global standard. That means they were rich. Another 32% of Americans were upper middle income. It's another way of saying rich. In other words, almost 9 in 10 Americans had a standard of living that was above the global middle income standard. That means 
Even the bottom percent in America is still richer than most of the world. Most of the world. That's right. What that means is, is America's poorest are, as a group, about as rich as India's richest in India. That's right. That means this research has shown that makes 88% of Americans wealthy compared to the world standard. Therefore, if this makes 88% of Americans rich, it means it makes 88% of Americans impossible and unlikely candidates to become saints. Say, how do you get that? Because Jesus says, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And when I think about where I live, where you live, when I think about the community around us, when I think about this economy of Atlanta, I think about how on a global standard, we're rich. And when I look around at the people around and there's so many possessions and there's so many pursuits, on a global standard, there's so much. It's easy for us to come in today and sit down with no hope and no vision and depressed and say, how then can we reach them? If it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, then who are we? A dwelling place, this community, to reach the rich around us. Also, it makes me Realize that there's a need for you and I. And there is a need for America again. That when they hear the story of Zacchaeus. And they see the story of Zacchaeus in scripture. To ask themselves in the mirror of God's word. Is that me in the mirror? When Jesus talks about that it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I think it's very important that in America we ask the question. Is that me? Is Zacchaeus like me? Am I like Zacchaeus a rich person? And it's difficult for me to enter the kingdom. Now, at least I lose you. You say well I'm already a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm already born again. But you got to understand the kingdom is more than just being transferred out of the kingdom one time. Out of darkness into light. Now you're in the kingdom, but are you experiencing the kingdom? Because Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's expressing righteousness, right living, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How hard it is for the rich to express continually righteousness and to experience peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How difficult it is. I don't know if you're like me and have felt that at times when I walk this, through this community and long to see Jesus revealed to them. But you feel, how can those that are rich or have many possessions and distracted and think they have all that they need for so much or are confused thinking they don't have enough and therefore they're busy trying to get more when they're already rich on a global standard to say, how in the world can they be rich? And to this... Jesus says to us today, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. That the unlikely are likely with God. See, I don't know how a person can be any more unlikely to be a saint than impossible. I mean, really, how, how can you be any more 
worse off as a potential candidate to become a saint when Jesus uses the word impossible. That sounds like we're talking about an unlikely candidate. An unlikely person to become a saint. But here's the good news for us today. Is that people are not the only option for the, inqua- the equation of unlikelies becoming saints. God can be brought into the matter. God can be brought into the situation. God can be brought into this community and to this region of Atlanta. And Jesus says when God is brought into the equation, the impossible suddenly becomes possible. The unreached can suddenly be reached. The unlikely to be saints can now likely become a saint, a follower of Jesus Christ and displaying his character. Now what is amazing is you can't miss this, that right after all of this happens, the text in Luke makes very clear that Jesus is now going to go to Jericho and he is going to help his disciples actually see and hear the impossible becoming possible. He is now going to cause his disciples to experience the unlikely becoming likely. Enter now, cue the scene, and Zacchaeus enters. We pick it up now in Luke 19 and verse 1. And the gospel writer Dr. Luke says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd. For he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, received him joyfully, But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and I have taken anything from anyone. By false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What do we have here? We have a man named Zacchaeus that in the context of his day, he was not only rich, but he was hated. He was despised. He was disliked. As by occupation, he was a tax collector. And not only was he a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. That means he oversaw other tax collectors. So here you have... The people around Zacchaeus, and when they thought of Zacchaeus, they had feelings and attitudes of hatred. They strongly disliked him. He representing that which was vile, that which was unjust to them. Here he is, a tax collector and using it for extortion, only using his career to benefit himself and not others. But not only did the common people despise and hate and reject him, But the religious world didn't like him. Notice in the text it later says when Jesus was staying with Zacchaeus that they complained saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. A dirty sinner. What does this mean for Zacchaeus? He was a man without many friends. He had the common folk that despised him and hated him because of his occupation. And the religious folk said, listen, if there's anybody that God really cares for, 
If there's anybody that if God were to come down on the earth and he would pursue them, he would run after them, he would go and spend time in their house with them, it sure wouldn't be that old sinner, that filthy person, Zacchaeus. But here's the thing you find throughout Scripture. is God throughout time as recorded in Scripture is drawn to the unlikely candidates. He's un, he is drawn to the unlikely persons, those that are unlikely to be liked because of their upbringing, those that are unlikely to be liked because of choices they've made in life, because of weaknesses. Those that are not liked by people become very liked by God. You see it all throughout Scripture. God finds people that are outcasts, people that are hated, people that are despised. We talked about one last week, Saul, who was murdering Christians. I don't know how you get any more unliked by believers. And yet God is drawn to him. Jesus is drawn to him. In fact, God gives promises and special graces to people that are despised. People that are socially despised. People that are rejected and oppressed. There's special promises for them. Why? Here's why the unlike people are liked by God. Because God is drawn to people that can display his power of turning sinners into saints. Listen, God is drawn to people where he can demonstrate his power to turn a sinner into a saint. To turn the wicked into righteousness. To turn the unsaintly into sainthood and character of Jesus. God is drawn to people that he can display his power to actually transform and change them. Why? So that God can get all the glory. Do you feel unlikely today? We should because probably, probably without question, all 100% in here is of the 80% of America that on a global standard is high middle income or not the top and globally rich. That makes us unlikely candidates to enter the kingdom of God. That means it makes us unlikely to trust that we need a savior, that we need someone to provide for us, that we need help from someone outside of what our riches and the, the opportunities that afford us. It also makes us very unlikely as followers of Jesus Christ in this country to experience consistently practicing righteousness, to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding, to experience a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. But the good news is is that the unlikely can become likely with God. That you right in the midst of your life and circumstance can through the power of God, experiences peace, can experience this joy, can experience a consistency to display the saintly character of Jesus Christ, the Lord you claim and follow. I want to briefly highlight three things. Three. Because if I put up five fingers when I say three, that the preacher just got two more points, and I know you don't want that. Three things. Then I'm going to conclude with what I believe is a prophetic now word for our community. And how God and the Spirit of God wants to use our church and you and people here to impact the nation we live in called America. The first thing I want us to see, number one, is see Jesus. It's a simple point, see Jesus. Notice in the story of Luke 19 of Zacchaeus, verse 3 says, And he sought to see who Jesus was. See, for one to become a saint, they must see Jesus. He is God's provision for the unlikely. He is God's only provision for the sinner. He is God's only power and wisdom to turn a sinner into a saint, to turn an unlikely person into a likely person to display God's glory and God's goodness. 
We need to see that Zacchaeus can be a mirror for you and I today. What are we seeking to see and what are we seeking in life? Are we seeking religion? Are we seeking just rules and do's and don'ts without a relationship with Jesus? What are we seeking when we gather here today? Are we gathered here today to just hear a person talk? Or are we here to see Jesus? Are we here to seek Jesus? When we come to growth phases on Thursday, are we coming just to say that we completed growth phases? Are we there to see Jesus? Are we there seeking Jesus? When you look at Zacchaeus and you say, is Zacchaeus, is that me in the mirror? you got to ask yourself, what am I seeking in life? Am I really seeking to know Jesus? Am I really seeking him? Or am I seeking religion? Or here's the other one, the opinions and the polls of man. See, I believe that first we need to, when we ask the question, Zacchaeus, is that me in the mirror? We need to accept that That is us that on a global standard are rich, high value. That should affect our life. That should make our complaining and our lack of contentment even that much more. An exposure that we've stopped seeing Jesus. We've stopped truly seeking Jesus. But you say, wait a minute, Pastor Chad, I'm already a saint. I've acknowledged my need of God to do the impossible in my life and make me a child and to be born again and to have my sins forgiven and confess Jesus as Lord and leader of my life. How now is seeing Zacchaeus, is that me looking in a mirror? Because again, listen, and why do I need to see Jesus? Because even if you're already a saint through the grace of God that made you a new creation, the only possibility of you being saintly in your behavior and your attitude and your actions and your lifestyle is still dependent on seeing Jesus for every issue of your life and every area of your life. We don't just see Jesus one time and go from darkness to light and then go about our life. We are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. We are called to fix our eyes on the one thing. We are to remain fixed in seeing Jesus. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But we all with an unveiled face. He's writing to believers. He's saying, listen, all believers, you are called to see Jesus. But to do that, you have to unveil your face. What that means for us today is Zacchaeus, is that me in the mirror? Am I rich? Do I have on a global standard many possessions? Is it very difficult for me to consistently practice righteousness and to experience the peace and the joy of the kingdom? And the answer is, is that me in the mirror? Is yes. That's you. That's me. That's why it says with an unveiled face. We have to acknowledge that being in a country that's given us so many choices makes it difficult to experience consistently the kingdom of God. It makes it difficult for those around us to even see their need for a Savior. You know, my wife, I've had to grow her in understanding over these 15 years of marriage that when you send me to a supermarket, just saying get a turkey breast ain't going to cut it. Because there's 1,700 kinds of turkey breast. And it makes it very difficult for me in the moment of finding turkey breast to have any peace or joy because there's so many I don't know what to do. 
And I've found that when people don't know what to do, either we become careless and give up because it's too overwhelming, right? Or we just ignore it altogether. It pulses with an unveiled face. We got to see ourselves in the light of reality. That Zacchaeus, for us who live in America, is like a mirror. And then Paul continues to say, But then beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, or being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He goes on right there and says, Guess what the glory of God is? It's the face of Jesus. And he says, when you behold and see Jesus, then you are being transformed in your soul, in your character, from degree or from glory to glory. You're being conformed into what you see in your practice, in your pursuit, in your thoughts, in your desires, in your affections, in your emotions. Here's what this means as a believer. When you see Jesus and you ask the question, is that me in the mirror? The answer for a believer is when you see Jesus, yes, that is the new you in the mirror. To see Jesus is to see the image that the Father recreated you in when you were born again. To see who Jesus is is to see now who you are in your spirit when you were born again. It's to see the new you, the new creation. Created in true righteousness and holiness according to God. Ephesians 4, 24. Romans 8, 28 and 29. You have been predetermined as a child of God to be conformed into the image of the firstborn son, Jesus Christ. So yes, sinner and saint, see the true Jesus at the tree of Calvary like Zacchaeus. Why the true Jesus and not just Jesus? Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 that there's people that talk about a different Jesus. But to see the true Jesus, you see him when you look to a cross that God would allow his only begotten son to be brutally beaten by the hands of merciless and rebellious and evil people. A God whose love is so great that it requires choice and the freedom for people to choose. And yet a God who's willing to accept their choice of crucifying the prince of life. That's a different Jesus. The humility, the love, the meekness of Jesus to the cross of Christ. What does that mean? We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus in all we do. And sinner and saint see Jesus when you see the wisdom and the power of God revealed at the cross. Secondly, we need to let Jesus stay. Notice after Zacchaeus saw Jesus... In verse 5, it says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw also Zacchaeus. And he said to Zacchaeus, Make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Not I might need to, but I must. Jesus had an I must. You say, what does this have to do with me in 2016 right here in Woodstock, Georgia? Here's why. Your body is called by the apostle Peter in Scripture, your house. It's called your earthly tent. Scripture says if you're born again and the Spirit of Christ has came into your life, you're God's temple. Here's what it means. Jesus desires not only to live in your house, to live in your body, to live in your earthly tent, but Jesus desires that His character and who He is would stay in your heart. That He would actually... His thoughts, His affections, His motives... 
His desires would actually stay in the home of your heart, in the home of your marriage, in your home, and in your life. That you wouldn't just let Jesus live in you, but be pushed back, but you would let who Jesus is stay in your character. Do we let him stay there? See, it's one thing to see Jesus. It's one thing to see the compassion of Jesus. It's one thing to see the pursuit of Jesus. It's one thing to see the love of Jesus and the empathy of Jesus, but not allow what you see to stay in your heart. As Proverbs 4.23 says, it's out of the heart that flows the issues of your life. See, we got a generation and we got a nation that thinks it's what happens around us that dictates what flows out of our heart. No, 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 no. The scripture is clear. It's what flows out of our heart that sets the atmosphere for our life. That in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we are called to be lights that shine out. That in the midst of hopelessness, we can still have hope. In the midst of joylessness, we can still have joy. In the midst of injustice, we can still represent justice. In the midst of unrighteousness, we can still be righteous. We are to not just see Jesus, but let who Jesus is stay in the character. The home of our heart, the home of our marriage, the home of our Life. This is what Paul the Apostle says in Ephesians 3 and 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Here's what Paul's praying. Paul's praying for believers that their inner man, that's their born-again spirit, would be strengthened... By might, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for the purpose, for the possibility, for the intent that then Christ would dwell in their heart by faith. You know what that word dwell means? In the Greek, it means to make his down sitting. It means where you let Christ and his character make his home and your character. It's where you let the mind of Christ make its home in your mind. It's where you allow the desires and the affections and the passions of Jesus Christ to make its home in your desires and your passions and your affections. It's to let Christ's lordship sit down. Let him stay. Let Christ be formed in you as Paul prayed in Galatians 4, 19. So we need to see Jesus, but what we see in Jesus, we then need to let stay in our character, in our soul, in our heart. And when you see Jesus and let Jesus stay, listen, it leads to number three, now. Now something has changed. Now there's a demonstration. Now there's a display because notice in verse 8 of Zacchaeus' story, then, notice the then. Then Zacchaeus stood. He couldn't stand until he saw Jesus and let Jesus stay at his house. But after he saw Jesus and let Jesus stay in his house, then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give. Somebody say, I give. Half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I restore. Someone say, I restore. Fourfold. Notice this. Zacchaeus seeing Jesus and Zacchaeus letting Jesus stay in his house has allowed now him to stand up and say, I give, I restore. It's the same for you and I. When we truly let Jesus sit down in our heart, then we can stand up in faith now. We can stand up in faith regarding what we've seen and what we've allowed dwell in our heart. We can't say that we've truly seen the Lord and what we've seen stay in our heart if it doesn't lead us to stand up now, to demonstrate it, to model it, to express it. 
How can a man that was the most unlikely to be giving become giving? How could a man that was the least likely to care about other circumstances, other situations, to have empathy for others, how could he now stand up and say, I give and I'll restore? I'll tell you why. Because when you truly see the Jesus of the cross and when you truly allow the character of God as revealed in Jesus to stay in your heart, it will lead you by faith to do something now. To do something now. He says, now I give, now I restore. It didn't take him 10 years. It didn't take him 12 years. This is the hope that we have when we're gathering, that you can come in and you can see Jesus and you can let what you've seen in Jesus dwell in your heart and you can get up and go stand in the midst of a crooked generation in that beauty and character of Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. That's why we have expectation. That's why we're excited when we gather. To see Jesus and let what we see stay in us so it leads to a now. Why did it lead to a now? Because when Zacchaeus saw Jesus and let Jesus stay, here's what he saw. He saw that Jesus gave himself. That the one, that it was not robbery, Philippians 2, to call himself equal with God. He came and he made himself of no reputation. He became a bondservant just like you and I. And he gave himself. He gave his whole life, his whole pursuit to glorify the Father. And he gave himself to allow his back to be ripped open, his beard to be plucked. He gave himself through the cross. Not only that, but because he gave himself, he has restored us back to the Father. He has restored us back to our Creator. So when I see Jesus, and I let who Jesus is stay in my character, then I now can stand in that giving nature of God and the nature of God to restore things around me. That's why Jesus said, blessed is the peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers. We're called to make things that are not already here. We're called to create things because we have a Father that's a creator that's not just here. Oh, as the people of God, I'm going to get there in a minute, but as the people of God, we're not called to just ride on the coattails of previous generations and other labors. As the people of God, God can use us to create new things, new businesses, new corporations, new jobs, new expectation, new joy, new peace, new vision. The people of God. Why? Because we can see Jesus and let who Jesus is stay in our character. And when Zacchaeus did, he saw that Jesus is the giving nature of God. He saw that Jesus is the restoring power of God. And When you see that Jesus gave himself on the tree of Calvary, and you let that character stay in you, the result will always be, now I give. You'll give something. You'll give of your time. You'll give of your praise. You'll, you'll give a listening ear. You'll give of your finances. You'll give of your career and work for the glory of God. You'll give of your marriage. You'll give all that you have for His glory. See, when you see that Jesus restores broken relationships and broken things and you let His redemptive nature stay in you, the result will always be, now I restore. Now I give. Now I restore. Did you know that there is a now and there is the eye of the new covenant. What that means is, is under the new covenant, you still have a personality. You still have a will. There's still an eye under the new covenant. Let me show you this. There still is an eye of the saints of God, Galatians 2.20. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. See, Pastor Chad, you're wrong. No, 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 no. That's I, the old Paul. That's you, the old you, have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live. It's no longer the old you who lives. But Christ now lives in me and the life which I now live. There is an I that is now living. But it's a new I. It's a new child of God. It's a new person born again, righteous and holy. But notice how in the new covenant, how the new eyes to live. You're to live by faith in the Son of God. See, this is why we got to see Jesus today. Because you can't place faith in an aspect of Jesus that you've not seen as His. You can't place faith that Jesus in you is merciful if you haven't yet seen that Jesus is merciful. And not only can you not by faith trust Jesus to live through you in being merciful if you've not seen Jesus, but you also can't demonstrate it consistently if you haven't let Jesus stay in that area of your life. We got to see Jesus. We got to let Jesus stay and it leads to a now. So when you look at Galatians 2.20, you say, is that me in the mirror of Galatians 2.20? Listen, as a child of God, the answer is yes and I now live by faith. I now live by faith in the Son of God. I can now live by faith in the Son of God. I don't have to wait until the next generation, the next president, 10 presidents, the next generation. I don't have to wait until things change the way I think they need to change. I now live by faith. The people of God are not waiting people for things to change on the earth. The people of God are now by faith, I give and I restore. Oh, I wish we'd hear what's being said today. Oh, this is the people of God are to have the vision. The vision. Not waiting for change. No, no, no. We are makers of change. Because we live by faith in the one we see. And when Jesus came, he lived in a corrupt society. It was corrupt religious. It was corrupt nation. But guess what he did? He gave. He restored. And you're made in his image. And when you see it and when you let it dwell in you, guess what you'll do? I'll give and I'll restore. We got any givers in the house today? We got any restores in the house today? Hallelujah. See, I as one who has seen Jesus... As one who has let Jesus stay and make his home in my character, I now live by faith in the Son of God. Not in me, not in what I can give, not in what I can recreate or create or restore, but what he can. I live now by faith that the Son of God gives, therefore I as a new creation made in his image give. That might be a good start in the morning in your prayer life is to make that prayer. That confession. That I live now by faith that the Son of God gives. Therefore, I as a new creation made in His image give. I live now by faith that the Son of God restores. Therefore, I as a new creation made in His image restore. See, faith takes what I've seen and what I've allowed to dwell in my heart and does something with it now. We didn't have to, we don't have to fight over and get into debate whether Zacchaeus saw Jesus and let Jesus stay in his house. You know why? Because he stood up and said, I give and I restore. He demonstrated it. And we don't have to argue today between those that see and those who don't see and those that see Jesus and don't see and those who let Jesus stay in their care and don't. Because if you have truly seen Jesus and you're living by faith in Jesus who's staying in you, listen, you will now act in faith somehow. There is some type of way you can display the faith that you have. You can give of your time. You can give a listening ear. You can go restore relationship. You can ask for forgiveness for the person you said, I'll never forgive them because of her. But you're seeing today Jesus, the forgiveness of God, even when you didn't ask for it. And you're allowing his forgiving nature to stay in your character. So you can stand up here today and say, by faith in the Son of God in me, I go forgive. I go forgive. C, 
See, Hebrews 11.1 defines faith. It says now faith is. When is faith? Now. We're not, we're not people of tomorrow when it comes to regard to what's going to happen on this earth. Our hope is Jesus will return. That's future. But we live by faith now. We release what we see that's coming now. We release peace now when there seems to be no peace. We release righteousness and justice now when there seems to be no. We release joy now when there seems to be none. We bring the reality of the kingdom of God now in the reality of what's around us. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look at verse 2. This is powerful. For by it, Andy. For by it, Rebecca. For by it, Jocelyn. Obtained a good testimony. How did all the people... Hebrews chapter 11, by the way, is what many call the heroes of faith. But they're not heroes of faith. It's just the unlikely becoming likely with God. How did they obtain a good testimony? By faith. A faith that had them act now. Do something now. Bring change now. Trust the God who makes the impossible become possible now. A God who has a heart for the unlikely to be liked now. And, and then Hebrews 11.39 says, And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. You know what that means? They were called saints. But why were they called saints? Through faith. And today he's just looking around, God is, and he says, yeah, you're an unlikely bunch, but by faith the unlikely bunch can become likely. An unlikely bunch can obtain a good testimony that they're saints. Someone who's unmerciful, someone that has no empathy for others, someone that has no joy, no peace, Someone that's broken, someone that has inferiority, someone that has insecurity complex, those unlikely can become likely now. How? By seeing Jesus and let what you see dwell in your character. You'll be transformed by degree to degree into that image. Where now you can stand up now by faith and begin to act on what you have seen and what you have let abide. I believe that God, through the spirit of faith, calling our movement, dwelling place movement, and people here, myself and yourself. And I already see characteristics where he's done it and it's available for all. And I won't go into the testimonies. But, but number four, lastly, I see how God is calling us and people here to get involved, to now make changes in a country that needs it, is un- unlikely pioneers, builders, and mothers. A people though unlikely, that will become givers and become restorers. What do I mean? When you read Hebrews chapter 11, you find unlikely people becoming now what we call heroes of faith, but they're just unlikely becoming likely with the power of God. And you find three people in Hebrews chapter 11 I want to highlight, Abraham, Noah, and Sarah. The Bible says there in Hebrews 11 that Abraham, by faith, obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Noah, by faith, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Sarah, by faith, notice the consistency, received strength to conceive seed 
She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Listen, Abraham represents pioneers. Those that go first. New territory. Noah represents builders. If I can just say it how I felt it in my gut, entrepreneurs. Sarah represents mothers. Let me put it all together. You might be unlikely today, but by faith like Abraham, you can give your determination and go and pioneer. By faith in the God who makes the unlikely become likely, you can go into new territories and bring the kingdom of God and bring the light of God where there's currently darkness. You can be a person who goes first and makes it easier for the others. You might be unlikely, but by faith like Noah, you can be moved to build a new career today, a new business today, a boat to provide for your family, to become a giver, a giver in something that actually will lead to the salvation, lead to your children becoming saints, lead to your children have the character of Jesus Christ, but become a giver for your family. You might be unlikely, but... Like Sarah, you are faith-filled to receive strength to raise godly seed and mold the foundations of many generations. That by faith you judge him who promised faithful. And listen, you become a restorer of the breach. That we live in a country where families have been torn apart. The majority of teens that's in prison, they grew up without a father. Family. But there's some people today that can by faith receive strength to raise godly seed, to mold the foundations for many generations. And when we see Jesus and we see and allow his character to stay in us, we don't wait for someone else to bring change in America. The people of God who has Christ in them say, I now by faith give and I now by faith restore. And let me tell you how you restore. Well, we're... We're grateful and why we receive the benefits of previous generations is restoring a pioneering spirit, restoring an entrepreneur spirit, restoring mothering and spiritual mothering and fathering spirit for the next generation. And I look around and I say we're unlikely, but we're determined. I look around and say we're unlikely, but we're moved by God's spirit. I look around and say we're unlikely, but we're faith-filled today. I look around and say we're unlikely, but now we act in faith in the Son of God who is our sufficiency and can do more than we could ever imagine or ask by the power at work within us. I look around. And I say we are unlikely but by faith determined. We are unlikely but by faith we're moved to act now. We're unlikely but by faith we judge God faithful who will bring it to pass. We're unlikely but by faith we give our now. We give our present time. We're unlikely but we give our faith and our determination. We're unlikely but by faith we give our preparation. We're unlikely but by faith we give our now. I'm telling you I believe God is calling some people who are unlikely though. But, but to become likely with God. To become pioneers. To become entrepreneurs. To become mothers by faith. Because listen when you read the end of Ephesians. I mean uh, Hebrews 11. It says this is how God subdues kingdoms. This is how God changes nations. This is how God works righteousness and justice and right 
things in a nation. This is how promises of God are obtained. This is how the mouth of lions and liars are stopped. It is by unlikely people placing faith in a God who makes the unlikely likely. It is by the faith of the people who looks at the impossible but understand with God all things become possible. And by faith they allow God to take what's unlikely and make us pioneers, entrepreneurs, and mothers. That's how he does it. This is how I feel God saying I'm going to be a part. You want to see American change? This is how by now faith we can act. How now we can see justice in our area begin to be sown. See, listen to me. It's only by faith of God's people. You can't expect people who have no vision to get a vision of the future. We have a vision of the kingdom of God. And by faith, we can bring that vision of the kingdom here and now. Peace, righteousness, and joy. And I feel the Father's heart saying to His children today, quit looking to the world. Quit looking to the blind, leading the blind. But look to me, the God that makes the impossible possible, that makes the unlikely likely, and by faith in the Son of God within you, let me use you. Let me make you, though you're unlikely, a pioneer to go into a new region and for that region begin to labor and see a whole multitude of dwelling places in that region. To go and pioneer new fields in America, new career paths. By faith, to begin to build boats, to build new careers, new businesses that can employ hundreds and thousands and do it with integrity and the character of the kingdom of God. See, this is the issue. As you can get people on the media and you can get people on Facebook who can claim injustice and justice and all and everything that's wrong with America, but here's the deal. Yet people that do it, they have no faith not to abort a baby. They have no faith to give up their job that they're working for a corporation that abuses people. Listen to me. It takes faith in the day we live in to raise some children. It takes faith to leave working for a corporation that abuses people and is only using them for their profits, does things unjustly to go out and to build a new boat, build a new business, build a new place where people can love, learn the character of God and have jobs. That takes faith. But I just feel God saying, listen, that He can take those that are unlikely and make us likely to pioneer some new places, to build and have an entrepreneurial spirit and to raise up some godly seed because they become arrows in the hand of warriors to begin to affect the next generation. Listen, it doesn't matter what nations crumble. The one thing that won't crumble until Jesus comes is people. There will always be people. The Proverbs say, what can a nation do when the righteous foundation is destroyed? I'll tell you what we can do. I'll answer today. We can start building a foundation of the kingdom now. We can start building on kingdom ethics now. We can start building on that which is unshakable now. What can the righteous do when the foundation is destroyed? I tell you, by faith, we can start building. We can start going. We can start raising godly children. By faith, we can receive a grace today to do what seemed to be so unlikely that you never thought God could use you before. Oh, but I'm telling you, the breath of God can take that which seems so impossible and make it possible. Oh, he can cause you to build a big boat. Touches 
your family generation after generation to raise godly seed. Sarah's children went and wreaked havoc on the kingdoms and the gates of darkness. And I want to say, when you look at Abraham, when you look at Noah, when you look at Sarah and the Word of God, ask yourself this question. Is that me in the mirror? Is that me in the mirror of Abraham that I'm called to pioneer, to go before? Is that me in the mirror like Noah to build something, to make a change? Is that me in the mirror to give my hands to raising godly seed and children that will be sent out to impact the ungodliness around them? I believe there's people here today. I see a movement filled with pioneers and builders Mothers, I see a people that are so filled with the substance of Jesus, the reality of his kingdom. It says, now I, by faith, I go, I build, I act now. Because if not, here's where I'm at in my life. Here's what you'll get from me if you're the opposite, to be honest with you. You'll get mercy, you'll get forgiveness, you'll get love, but you won't get close. Because here's why. Because I follow in the footsteps of Bonhoeffer who said, I'll have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Here's what it means for me in modern day translation. Either get involved in what God's doing in a local church with the people that have vision and actually have access to the power that can now bring change or shut up. Listen, anybody can talk about the wrongs of the past. Anybody can talk about the wrongs of now. But it takes people who says, I know a God that can take me who's unlikely, but he can make me likely to be used now to start a seed of hope, a seed of justice, a seed that will be a blessing to the generations to come. And I want us to stand, and I want some people that feel God stirring in you to make that a prayer. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm unlikely, but you make me likely. It seems impossible, but you make it possible. And let your worship, let your voice go to Him who sees and knows. (laughs) Again, thanks so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. God bless you.